Welcome to another episode of 24G's Podcast Transformation Alley. I am Rich Folley. I'm the Chief Strategy Officer here at 24G. This is a podcast that is about companies that are going through digital transformation, some of the challenges and trends that they see and that we see working with a lot of our clients who are, are navigating all of this. Welcome to uh, an episode, and we're very happy to have Leanne Knowles with us today, who is 24G's Director of Learning Services. Welcome, Leanne. Great to Thank have you. Thank you, Rich. It's good to be here. Yeah, I love having these conversations with you. Leanne was on my team here at 24G for a long time, now works as a member of our learning marketing communication services team, yes. um, doing a lot of work, not just in training, uh, but also in the way companies market and communicate, which I think is a trend that you're, you and I are going to explore a little bit, the sort of uh, expanding definition of what learning is in, inside companies. Absolutely. It's fun. First, I want to talk a little bit about your role as an instructional designer and as a supporter of the LMCS team, the Learning Marketing Communication Services team. Can you talk about the role of an instructional designer and a little bit about your career and how you came into it as well? Yeah. Um, instructional design is one of those interesting fields. I think you start you don't intend to fall into it, um, but that's what happened for me. Um, I started out in healthcare management and was asked to create a training program and realized I don't know a heck of a lot about creating training programs a long time ago. And so I started to do some investigation and, and realized there's this whole entire world out there that is all about the science of adult learning. How do adults learn? How do they consume information? What's the best way to get them to change their behavior? And so um, ended up working with a company to develop some healthcare instructor-led training, which is pretty traditional, you know, person in front of the room kind of situation. And so for the next probably 10 or so years of my career, I really focused in on um, being a, a classically trained instructional designer for um, uh, a company that did a lot of instructor-led um, training programs. And what that looks like for an ISD is a couple of different paths. Um, a lot of ISDs uh, do master's or PhD level programs in um, learning strategies, technologies, learning and development. Um, there's also the credentialing path, which is the path that I took, which is through the Association for Talent Development. Um, I am a certified professional in talent development, which is a scope of six to seven areas of practice um, in the talent development field, which also includes learning science um, and, you know, talent acquisition and motivation and anything that is really in that talent life cycle. But um, my, my specialty area and my focus is on adult learning theory. And so what that means is how do we engage people to consume learning content and change their behavior? Um, and so that's that's really how I ended up in this seat. What's been really cool here at 24G is being able to expand that to the digital space, um, getting kind of out of that instructor-led training box, um, realizing that more people are consuming their information and their learning assets online, and being able to really um, you know dial in on on the best strategies for that. Yeah, the uh, for us, that's always been sort of the secret sauce, the combination of the technology that we've done here at 24G for right. a long time, sort of the foundational element of our company, mixed with expert content creators and expert instructional designers that can come in and, and fuel that technology and help us as we think about how to design and expand it. And never has that been more apparent the need for that expansion as during the last couple of years of the Absolutely. pandemic when all that live instructor-led training that was your foundational base started to disappear. Even with our own clients that were doing a lot of it, um, that still like to do it, it needed to disappear. And it really accelerated uh, the reliance on technology to deliver some of this, but also thinking about ways and opening minds, frankly, and it was almost easier to open minds during this period to get them to think about how to leverage the technology to engage and using social theory and some of the other elements. And maybe uh, we should start just by talking about how quickly <laughs> that pace has accelerated over the course of the last two years and what you're seeing. It has. The pendulum has been swinging for a number of years. It's, it's like we'll have... Um, times, especially during the recession, where it was like, okay, let's dial back instructor-led. It's expensive. We're putting people on the road. And so we'll try to do more digital learning. And it wasn't super effective. I mean, 
the platforms didn't exist. The infrastructure didn't exist back in 2008, 2009 in order to make it a really effective learning strategy. And so then the industry swung back and said, okay, do instructor-led training and put trainers in front of classrooms. And then the pandemic happened and it was, we can't. Full stop. <laughs> yep, nobody's going anywhere. Full stop, nobody's going anywhere. So what do we do now? We have, you know, our clients, we have eight, 10, week-long training programs that now need to be turned into consumable content so that we're still driving um, the the behavior change forward. And so what from that need, um, I think we went a couple of different directions from an instructional designer standpoint. Some um, have really focused in on taking that instructor-led portion and, and turning it into a virtual experience like we've all had during the pandemic of work from home, remote, video, you know, being live in person, being able to have those facilitated conversations, which is great. But as everyone knows, it doesn't feel great to be on a Zoom call for four hours or five hours or eight hours. And so we've had to learn how to package content in a way that prepares people for what an in-person session looks like now. And what we've found, and I think it's really interesting, is that for a lot of years, we were writing instructor-led training because that's what they told us to do. And actually, a lot of these topics broken into small micro-learning chunks and put on an engaging platform and marketed correctly and communicated that they're available and why they're important has really helped adult learners um, consume more training content than I think what they were actually getting in the past. Because before you would just fly to a place, sit there for two days, you'd have a book, you'd take it home, you stick it in a drawer. Mm -hmm. A printed And paper, I'd go back to work. <laughs> three ring binder. A three ring binder. Yeah. I did a lot of those yeah. um, back in the day. And I think getting away from that has been actually beneficial for adult learners because now as instructional designers, we're meeting our learners where they're at, which is on their devices all the time. <laughs> Um, we're meeting them in the social space and we're saying, okay, there's, there's value to peer-to-peer -peer learning that we always saw in instructor-led. How do we harness that with everyone um, being perfectly comfortable with having online personas? And I know that's a word you and I have used in the past, like that avatar, that persona, like that all plays into being able to trigger the right thing at the right time in somebody's brain so that it clicks. Yeah. And that's the magic of instructional design. I think one of the, that that's that's so cool. And uh, there's terminology behind it all. And, you know, I love using the official terminology, but it's it's blending so much into the average everyday lexicon. So we talk about micro learning, mm -hmm. which is another way to say people have shorter attention spans now and they're used <laughs> to really short <laughs> digestible content on yes. their social media feeds and they don't have even the patience to sit down for a 10 20 30 40 minutes certainly yeah. an hour or four hour uh training session so to break it up for them into micro learning pieces to engage is really just saying people don't have the patience anymore to do that and, and especially in their own environment and in an on-demand format where they can just pick it up on their own. Yeah, absolutely. And I think previously, like pre-pandemic times, that was its own lane in learning. You had traditional learning avenues, web-based trainings, which 45 minutes to an hour long and I click through and I get, um, I take knowledge checks, et cetera. And it really blew out the idea of like, what is e-learning? And what is mobile performance support? Because before that would be an app or something you got on your phone and you would have what you need in order to do your job right on, right on time. And now it doesn't have to be its own thing. It can be a place where all types of learning exist. Um, there's variety within the content, but then I also can access that thing I need right now. And that means if I'm if I'm working for Toyota in a plant, for example, and my job is to, you know, work a specific machine and do a specific task, and that machine changes, in the past it would be like, go to a training, do this thing, and now it's, I go on my device, they've shown me a video, they've given me a checklist, and it's all on demand, it's all mobile performance support, it's in the moment, it's when I need it. But it's also my go-to place for my continuing 
education, my continuous learning for my profession. And so I think it's really cool that it's all coming together versus being, well, that would be better as a mobile performance support tool. Everything's mobile performance support now. I mean, who go I Google things every day, every day. And, it, and it's the same idea. It's like, you know, I'm going to go to this device. I'm going to log in and I'm going to find what I need. Mm -hmm. That's that. That's a great segue when we and we're going to talk a lot more about it to our 24G LXP, which is really an aggregator, yes. a platform where everything is, where people can get together, where you can meet other people who do your job, where all of your training content, learning content, informational content yeah. lives. Uh, and it's also gamified and there's like strategy and you can earn points and get cool things for and turning your points. in. we're going to talk a lot about that in a sec. One of the things that I like about our LXP, our 24G LXP is that it taps into more than just the learning content. It really taps in to the desire to compete and to be social right. and to present yourself to the world uh, for all the things that you've achieved uh, at your company, uh, the levels you've reached. I like that idea of leveraging human emotion and social activity that people are so, so intuitive for right. everybody now and putting that into the learning process, really injecting it in there as well, making social part of the learning process as well. Yeah, and it's important. Because a lot of times social learning is where we get the best practices we need to be successful. It doesn't necessarily come from a trainer in front of the room. It doesn't necessarily come from the script that was written or the behavior modeling that's in a video. It comes from having conversations like this and your peer saying to you, hey, have you thought about X? Since we can't do that in person, we can do that in that social aspect on the LXP platform. Yeah, one of our largest clients that uses our platform right now, initially when they launched, they, they, it wasn't that they weren't interested in the social component, but that just was not the priority. The priority was delivering learning content. But what right. you find is that when you have pictures of people all over your platform and you start to see faces and you're, you start to learn a little bit more about them, where they right. work and what job role they have, you want to know them. And I, at the beginning, this client did not really want to facilitate connection. Um, right. It wasn't a priority. Maybe it was even a little scary. What are they going to say? What's going to happen? You know. But at that said, I think that same company now has completely leaned into the idea of the social connectivity of a learning platform. It's the same way that when you go to an in-person course uh, or with other people in the room, you sort of bond with your participants. For sure. Now you can do that online in a way that's very Facebooky or Instagrammy or whatever your favorite social media platform is. And these companies are really recognizing the power of unleashing that, not necessarily trying to push it down. Oh yeah, it's incredibly powerful because then you have people from across the the entire country having a conversation about a topic that's important mm -hmm. to the business. And following and liking and getting to know and, right. and, and aspiring to maybe pass them up in points or to get past their level, yeah. you know, to, to, to maybe forge even a competitive element. Um, that gamification element is so critical. It's almost expected. And we can see it even happening in our like K-12 school system now, where the platforms that are being used um, to teach our younger minds are gamified, leaderboard-based. And we just have to keep in mind that adults are driven by the same things that children are. And that's recognition that I understand and am able to regurgitate a topic and that in and of itself and, and assigning points to that and seeing where you sit within your peers is such a basic human experience that it feels natural mm -hmm. and it feels right and yeah. it feels it doesn't feel like I'm being forced into consuming content that I don't want I want to be there I want to be able to show my peers that I'm elevating my skills and it, and it really is it's it's a basic human um, condition. Totally. I mean, look at what's happening with Wordle right now. Right? I mean, literally, and the genius of Wordle, <laughs> which is a game. I've never done Wordle. If y'all haven't played with Wordle, it's a game that you have to pick a five-letter word every day, and you have to figure out what it is, and there's a few, you get to choose the letters, and slowly, by process of elimination, you have six tries, I think, or five tries, I can't remember, you to, to get the word right. Well, people share, yeah. there's this desire, and all these adults who are uh, my age and older are like sharing their Wordle scores, and you right. can sort of see what they did and dissect it. Very competitive. Um, human beings are, are competitive and want to share what they've achieved. Their successes, yeah, yeah. And look absolutely. At me. Uh, three out of six, I this nailed it today, people, right. Yeah. Um, and I think that we've leaned heavily into that at 24G, sure. but I think people, you can't go to a conference like DevLearn or any of the other conferences and not have 
aisles and aisles of gamified experiences now. And so that what we're talking about is nothing new, but it is an exploding trend in that it's almost a requirement now for learning to have some sort of gamified element. I would agree with that. And then I think you can take it the next step further when you're starting to talk about like, okay, so we, we put the gamification in place. So you have a place to compete and you have a place to show your success. Then taking game-based learning and applying that within that platform where I'm now in a learning asset where I'm playing a game. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of getting that that dopamine hit from both sides. Like I'm gonna play this game, just like Call of Duty, but it's you know a process game. And then when I get to the end of it, um, I'm gonna share that success. I'm gonna earn points, I'm gonna have badges. And so marrying those two pieces together, I think is, is kind of a little bit of the 24G magic. Um, because we do both. It's, it, we understand that it's not just the, com- the competition factor. It's also taking the idea of playing games and turning that into learning experiences and sometimes really complicated learning experiences. I'm thinking about um, a client that we did a, a full animated scenario series for that was choose your own adventure and its own separate site. And um, Magnificent, like yeah. absolutely amazing. It's a digital escape room where you have right. you can't get out of the room until you've learned all of the objectives and then uh, you know put them into use. Yeah, and then you can move into the other room and find more clues and games and activities. And that's motivational. Right. Like I mean, and, and ultimately that's what it comes down to. So when we look at how humans are motivated in their work lives, we know that the research has shown us that there are kind of three main factors, autonomy, competence, and relatedness. So the arc of motivation by Susan Fowler, who is one of my favorite um, management writers. And what these learning platforms do is address the competence factor, right? I'm going to give you topics that you can learn and you can become more skilled at your job. And being more skilled at your job means that you're more motivated to do your job. Um, the autonomy piece really plays into, I can do this whenever I want. I don't have to like take time away from what I'm doing at my job. I can do this when I get home. I could do this on the weekend. I could do this early in the morning. It's, it's on demand. The relatedness piece is the community that I feel like being a part of this learning community makes makes me want to work harder, makes me want to feel more motivated in my job because I understand the goals of the organization. I believe in the goals of the organization. And they're there. They're marketed. They're communicated. Um, and they're all in one place. Yeah. And so I feel like RLXP does a really good job of kind of marrying all three of those pieces together to help with employee motivation. Yeah. Um there's so many things that I, so many alleys we could go down right now. You just <laughs> no. brought up so many and they're all great. I'm really interested in Susan Fowler now too. Um, one of the things you, you mentioned, the, the, the magic component. We, as a technology build company, the, the, one of the things that we do, um, we're nothing if we don't fully understand the end user and how the end user needs yes. to communicate and interact. And so the fact that our our instructional design team infuses that knowledge directly into the build process, working right. with developers, working with the teams for new features that will enhance the learning experience yes. that they're in one under one roof is really, I think, sort of the magic sauce for 24G as well. It's exciting, actually. Um, I think a lot of platform companies know how to engage users with really beautiful UX and UI. I think they know how to engage users with game-based theory. Um, by infusing instructional design into the process, what we're able to do is kind of refine for our customers, what do you need? Like, do you need live classrooms to be on your platform? You may or may not. Um, do you need to have you know specific asset types that are gonna resonate better with your users? Um, great, then we can help you. Um, we have we have the ability to kind of curate lots of different parts and pieces to create a more tailored experience for the end user. Um, but ultimately, it's the same platform, which I think is really, really cool. Yeah. Um, 
a lot of companies think they have to get it from two different places. They're like, well, I'll get my platform from right. here the and I'll people. get my training from here and I'll go get my communication stuff from here right. and these people will do my marketing. Why not have it all in one place? Because it's ultimately all the same strategy. You're trying to communicate um, new information or new skills to your audience. And so if we do it all in one place and it's all aligned, um, that really is beneficial to not just the end user, but to the business itself. Mm -hmm. That's another element that really sort of presented itself with some of our larger clients. It started off as straight training-based replacements, a digital version of right. what they were doing in person to some degree, or taking the same content that they've been using for a long time, maybe 30, 40-minute web-based training course and just putting it into this platform. But what's happened is that the communications teams and the marketing teams and the PR teams are now sort of working together because these platforms are so powerful and they connect so many people and there's an incentive to go on them every day, like a social media platform, that these other departments are wanting to push some of their content into that. And why not? This is also training and this is also learning content. Yeah. What, say, a large company is doing with their commercials on television for the upcoming Super Bowl rollout or the new models that they're really excited about or something that's happening that used to go out in an email to a, a community of, of affiliates or, or dealerships or whatever, now can be turned into a short challenge on the platform where you get points for engaging with it. And that, that objective from that department, that communications department or that PR department, the marketing department is now being handled on the platform as a training, a little bit of training content, a small challenge. Yeah, it's, I mean, all of that marketing and communications are all opportunities to learn. Ultimately, I mean, uh, if I'm marketing an initiative or I'm marketing a new vehicle there, I'm providing opportunities to learn about that new vehicle um, I'm providing opportunities to learn about that new initiative. If there's a huge executive communication that needs to get to your entire dealer organization, for example, and you know from experience as an OE that when you send that email out, what your click rate is, right? Your agency is going to tell you that. Mm -hmm. In this case, it's not just about click rate. It's it's about, oh, I went and I read it, and then I had a little knowledge check on it, and I was able to answer that correctly, and I got points for it. Mm -hmm. So the next time you need to send an executive communication out, I'm incentivized <laughs> to actually go read it versus putting it in my spam box or mark as read. Mm -hmm. And the individualization of it, I can see who consumed it, who participated with it, and who did not, for that matter. And I think that's right. really powerful in the metrics and analytics side that you can, what you can do on a digital platform and how right. that helps the instructional design team to understand what's breaking through and what isn't and how they need to maybe adjust some of the uh, approaches we take to get Absolutely. people to engage. Absolutely. And adjusting those approaches, I think, is instructional designers typically are pretty quiet behind the scenes sort of people. Um, in any organization, whether you're a vendor or you do corporate training. Um, and I know my instructional designers <laughs> who are maybe watching this are like, yeah, 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 we're usually in a back room and we're just typing away, doing some things and uh, creating structures and curating content and um, not really like pushed to the front um, and, and seen because we're more architects than content creators per se. Um, that's changing. Like we're being forced to think like content creators now. <laughs> we're that is what and people content expect. Marketers and as content well. marketers and communication experts. And so being able to see like all of those sort of come together is it's making us better instructional designers, I think, because we're getting kind of pushed outside of our box a little bit. And we're, we're looking at the sunlight and we're going, okay, I, we, we don't mind it out here. Yeah, it feels good. <laughs> it feels, feels kind of good. It's good for all of us. Um, but learning lessons from like, taking lessons kind of from our own ways of learning. Um, you know, TikTok, for example, I think all of us in the learning community are trying to figure out how do we harness the power of that? Like, how do we harness the power of TikTok? It's not about TikTok. It's about the community. It's about the form. It's about the content. So, um, you know, one of the things that we're kind of ideating on right now is, like, how do we create TikTok-esque content? TikTok style. Because we're even more micro at that point. I mean, micro learning was 10 minutes or less five years ago. It is 
three minutes or less now. Mm -hmm. And to me, that even seems too long. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot you can do in three minutes. We're, we're certainly seeing that from uh, the new age content creator that knows how to really pack a lot into a short period of time, right. which again gets to that, that, um, that idea of, of short attention span, micro learning, getting it into someone's brain really quickly and effectively in models and tools they understand because right. they use them every day. Yeah. And they seem to work when you're learning a recipe or you're figuring out a new dance step. <laughs> it can also be applied to learning uh, principles too. It can be. It can be for sure. You talked about something else. Um, one of the Susan Fowler uh, concepts you mentioned was autonomy. Yes. And to me, um, we're certainly seeing that a lot, especially with uh, the push to mobile learning. In the, in the day, I mean, you had to either be in front of a computer or be in front of a human being for a number of hours, potentially, um, sometimes even days. Now, with that autonomy, that ability to train or learn or consume this content on your own time, mm -hmm. in shorter bursts, with your mobile device, wherever you are, it seems like a transformational element in itself. It is a transformational element, and it w it's needed. Um, learning needs to happen where I'm at, and where I'm at is on that device as I'm like patting my phone, which is always sitting next to me, right? Um, we need to start thinking about our learning content so that it's always driven by being consumed with the mobile device. I mean, yeah, it's great. You're going to be in front of your computer sometimes. Yeah, it's great. You're going to have a, a, a facilitator in front of you sometimes. Most of the time, you're going to consume it on your device. And so... I think that's a big change, like C-level change for a lot of organizations because we've always done it this way and it's worked. I mean, I have programs that I wrote 10 years ago that are still being trained with a facilitator in front of the room. The content has not even changed. The topics have not even changed. I mean, maybe some of the data has changed, mm -hmm. but that's about it. They have to have a three three punch hole or, or three hole punch <laughs> to the, use the it. The difference between <laughs> what I wrote and what's being taught today is yeah. that it's now being taught on a mobile device. Right. Exactly. Um, and so we we just have to acknowledge it. I think training can be very stuck in our ways. This thing has worked worked for 10 years, why do something different? Well, because ultimately, it's not meeting the business objective. We're not pushing for a certain KPI. We're not, we're not meeting that goal. We're not measuring against that goal. We're just saying, this has worked. We're just going to keep doing it. And um, the pandemic has forced us to stop. And it's forced us to say, OK, that content's really good. How can we make it more appealing? How can we make it more micro? How can we create a cadence that makes sense? How can we make sure that um, this message stays throughout the entire fiscal year versus just when I'm sitting in a classroom? And all of us in the talent community are trying to come up with ways to do that. Um, the unique piece about 24G is that we're looking at it from the technology side. We're looking at it from um, what the user experience is on that device because if it's not something I'm familiar with, if it's not in a cadence that I'm used to, if it doesn't reflect what I experience when I'm going out and learning things on my own, then we're not hitting the mark. Um, it's the master class effect, right? I mean, who would have thought five years ago that you'd be able to film a bunch of incredible people put it on a platform and people would pay a lot of money to watch training videos from, on their from, own time. From the best, yeah. On their own time. Right. I mean, like, if you had told me that when I was going through my CPTD, <laughs> I think any of my instructors would have been like, no, that's never mm -hmm. going to happen. Um, you know, we could have presented that concept in a class and they would have been like, that'll never well, work. Well, I think that's part of the content marketing, thinking like is. a content marketing person, because once you stop, you take... And this is no offense to instructional designers, but once you take the word training off of something and yeah. you talk about lifelong learning and curiosity and interesting content or presented in manners that are interesting to you, um, it becomes something entirely different. Absolutely. And you want to do it. Yeah. It's something that's interesting to you. Uh, and you want to move up a level and maybe not on the, 
you know, on your scoreboard, on your leaderboard, but in your head, you want to move up and you want to be better. And yeah. uh, if you start to position it in the, in the way content marketers do, with the people at Masterclass do, all of a sudden you're in another, you're in another league and how you can present. Think like a content creator. Mm -hmm. I yeah. mean, that's that's the lesson to, I think, all instructional designers right now. Mm -hmm. Like when you sit down at the page and you're ready to write out that structure of what, here's your learning objective and how are we going to get there? It's got to be thinking like a content creator. Ultimately, how are they going to consume this? And then that really drives how you decide to structure your content. Yeah. And I agree with you, Rich. Taking that step back away from training, air quotes, training, training has a bad connotation to it. It feels forced. Yeah. And so I think Time here- Time-consuming, forced- um, <laughs> Required. You know, like that's what people who are Googling something and watching a YouTube video are, they're training, but they don't yeah, think of learning. it that way. They're, they're learning how to do something. Yeah. And they're empowering themselves. They are empowering themselves. And so how do we, we need to transition, well, we need to transform our content so that it gives you that same psychological stimulation that you get from learning something on your own. Yeah. You know, uh, this is the challenge, too, for, for us on this side, because we have now been we're in a seat now where we're seeing a lot of our clients. We're seeing the transformational aspects of some of the platforms right. that we've developed and some of the ways that you're now being able to apply these content theories and philosophies across a broad spectrum of people, often with multiple franchisees or dealership locations or all across the planet in some cases. It's so powerful. It works. We see it over and over again. Mm -hmm. So we walk into a room. But the reality is there are forces at work and some of especially in these larger companies that sort of go against big change that might be required to bring a platform Absolutely. like this on. I mean, they may have a different provider or they may have been doing it for a long time or there's mm -hmm. a purchasing department that doesn't understand. And so you on our side have to temper the desire to just show in the world because it's so exciting. Absolutely. You, you have to help people walk into it gradually in a way that they, one, they can afford to, that they can implement without massive disruption in a large scale organization. Correct. And three, that like slowly starts to take advantage of these wins that you're talking about. And I like to just give it to them all. I want to <laughs> like, I want to get in there and get excited, but I, I see eyes glaze when I do that because it's, it feels so large of a change. But there is a way to sort of walk people there gradually is. towards this master, this magic solution, <laughs> the master class idea. Yeah. Um, you've been through that with me. Uh, talk about that sort of resistance that sometimes happens in, in these rooms as we're presenting these grand ideas. Yeah, the grand idea does it can sometimes seem like, how do you eat the elephant, right? And, and, and it's one bite at a time. And it's taking into consideration everything else that's going on in the ecosystem. So you have to assume that most larger organizations have some sort of learning ecosystem in place. I mean, even here, um, we're 130, 140 employees, mm -hmm. and we have multiple ecosystems that provide us with constant information or communication or learning assets. Um, even outside of, you know, I'm a learning services department, and I don't create all of the training for our company. <laughs> It's mostly for our clients. Like our department does it for clients. We tap into your We your tap in every too. once yep, in a while when sure. we need it. But at the end of the day, like we even go out and grab content that we need or curriculum that we need, like cybersecurity, for example. You know, we need to stay to compliant. And in order to do that, we need it from a certified provider. And so we found one that is really engaging and has content that's easy to get through and feels like our people enjoy it. Um, we see them have conversations about it on their on our Slack channels. And so that means it's working, but it's part of our ecosystem. All organizations have those. They have their LMS, they have their LMC, they have their LRS. There's a million different um, combinations of learning management, record stores, content management systems that uh, the larger the organization, more likely there's going to be multiple. Mm -hmm. Not to those. mention the emails that go out and the, yeah, that's the communications <laughs> piece and the marketing <laughs> stuff. Set that, that aside, yeah, yeah, like yeah. just in the learning space, you're probably yeah. dealing with three or four at a large organization. Mm -hmm. um, then when you start to expand that to now I have two or three different communication channels 
typically. Um, I might have consumer-facing stuff that my retail organization isn't seeing or my frontline organization isn't seeing, but it's going out to consumers on our YouTube channel. And so you have, you know, how do you get your employees to know that that's out there? And, and so really the magic is creating a base layer and then picking pieces of content from that entire ecosystem and then packaging it so that I can consume it, I enjoy consuming it, um, I'm gonna come back and consume more, and that's really what an LXP does. Is it gives you that place to curate content from the entire ecosystem, but then the user only has to go to one site and that site is the one that has the social interactions and the gamification and, you know, all of the fun parts mm -hmm. of being within a learning marketing communications ecosystem within a company. Right. It's the engagement. It's the engagement layer. Where it's a little bit more playful, a little bit more fun, and a little bit more like a social experience. And know? it should be yeah. a social experience. Yeah. So how would you, what would you recommend to say you're a, you're a, you're a manager level person, you're a director level person, you're walking the halls at DevLearn uh, and you're seeing all these incredible solutions and you know that you don't have what you need at your office back at, at the ranch. And, or you see our LXP on, online or you look at it and you're, you need to convince all of the people around you that it's time for a big shift. Mm -hmm. um, as a person that I'm trying to get you to come in and try this thing, I see this all the time, but I'm also wondering if you're inside a company where you know you need to be better and you want to transform your, your learning and communications mm -hmm. platform or the way that you communicate with your field. But it seems so intimidating it and does. you have to go up against like the existing. Um, how do you, what do you, how, what do you recommend for the people you've worked with them regularly mm -hmm. to take those first steps to kind of talk to your, your supervisor or boss to kind of move through that ecosystem? I think the first thing is do your research. Um, look at what you already have. Like, what do you have in your ecosystem? What works, what doesn't work? And then that's going to help you determine your business case for your boss. Um, you may think that you need a lot of game-based elements and then realize once you look at what you currently have that, mm, I really don't need a whole heck of a lot of that but I need a way to package it better, then I'm going to go for an LXP. You might look at your organization and say, gosh, we don't even have an LMS, but we don't want to buy one. So um, then I'm going to focus in on, you know, where can I house content, but I don't need these type of metrics. Um, also looking at what your metrics packages are. What, what do you need to measure in order to convince your leadership that this is the best investment of their money? And I think ultimately it comes down to that. If you have three, four, six solid metrics um, that you're trying to improve and you can find a way to measure engagement with content as it relates to that business ROI, then that's really, that's the research you need to do in order to convince your boss to implement something like an LXP. Um, once you get to that point, though, I don't think it's a hard sell. I think once people actually get in and start to click around or tap around or swipe around and see how the system feels like the types of platforms we use every day, it sells itself that way. Mm -hmm. um, and then also realizing that you do have all of these content streams and um, being able to put them in one place is is always a good business case. Um, anytime you can prevent, you know, your employees from having to go to multiple different places for the same information. You're, you're streamlining the process. You're giving them autonomy. You're helping promote that. You have less questions, help desk stuff, IIT stuff. Um, and anytime you have an obstacle, um, for an employee to access information that is likely they're not going to return. And so a lot of LMSs can be clunky and um, that also can be a business case. Like give us a place that makes sense for us. Yeah, give us I, a place that, you know, this is where our learning culture starts and we may have all of these other things um, and we need to use them. I mean, ultimately, web-based training and SCORM compliancy was put into place because it was needed. 
we needed to be able to track. We needed to be able to um, ensure that uh, all training was uh, accessible for all people, um, no matter where they were, ability level, you know, um, it's ADA compliance. And so there's still a place for that. And that still needs to exist. Um, but it doesn't have to be where you interact with the object or how you interact with the object. It can just do its job over here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and you have you know, your actual uh, experience with the learning in an insightful and exciting and inspiring place where you can connect with your peers and um, you know, consume content that you're going to consume anyway. Yeah. You, you, there's two things you said there that I want to that I want to talk about before I, I let you go today. Um, okay. And one of the things you, you talked about was that sort of social layer, that top layer. Um, that's what our LXP does, mm-hmm. our 24G LXP does. It provides that social layer, and there's some power in the social learning side of things of being able to sort of see what your other colleagues are doing and to maybe even get to know those colleagues or be inspired by them or or, or want to kind of emulate them in some way, shape, or form. How uh, has your work changed as, as, as you start to lean into that concept of social learning as an instructional designer? It's been um, exciting because we've had to think of new ways to create social connection. Um, people tend to be a little different online than the way they are in real life. And the way they are online is maybe a little bit aspirational in a lot of ways. You know, how many times do you take your profile picture? Google asked me that the other day when I took my profile picture. Like, they were like, can you take this little survey? And they're like, how hard was it for you to choose the picture that's going to represent yourself on Google? And that made me think, like, it was a little hard. Like, I, I did like look through a one. number of pictures, <laughs> you know, like it, I did. I did make a conscious decision about what I wanted that to look like, what I wanted to put out there. From an instructional design perspective, what that does is gets us to application, right? So if I'm going to have the opportunity to have feedback from my peers the way I do in a classroom setting, um, and that's going to help me improve, I have to maybe practice a skill on video four or five times, which is only going to make me better. Versus in a classroom where I'm going to do it once, the facilitator's going to debrief it, cool, we practiced, good, do it with your customers next time. No, this time I'm like, okay, if I'm going to have to show best practices in sales, for example, and I'm going to demonstrate that on video and I'm going to upload it, I'm going to practice that multiple times in order to get to my comfort level of what I'm going to share online. And that's just a constant iterative progression of improving a skill. I mean, you're upskilling yourself without even knowing it. Leveraging social vanity you're leveraging to train so- and, and teach. You it's, are. It's genius. It, I, and I think it's fascinating, and I think that it's, it's the next level of what we're going to get to. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, Meta, Facebook, whatever we're calling it these days, I mean, they're looking at creating entire learning metaverses where people do this, where they teach people other things and they create their own video content. I mean, think about that. Somebody who does a TikTok, how many times do you think they record that TikTok before it's perfect? Yeah. And so when I think about that as our end users working with their customers, because ultimately that's how our agency relationships usually work, it's they're incentivizing themselves to practice and that's powerful that's very cool that's a I never thought of it that way but I, I see it completely now and I, and I know that that's what happens when people are posting their own stuff so that's really cool you, you talked about how long people spend on the on the content to make sure that it's interesting that's binge worthy you know like that you want to watch more and more of it and that's if tiktok is anything it's it's binge worthy you just keep you can't stop yourself you can't stop yourself you just just keep keep watching and scrolling just scroll that's that's been a a real change too. the type of content Mm -hmm. and this is the other element that i wanted to talk to you about um the content isn't people are expecting even their learning content to be more interesting now and we're seeing that in short like we said but interesting Mm -hmm. and perhaps 
um, episodic or perhaps mm-hmm. characters that you get to know over time or perhaps um, and that's something that you talked about earlier with our own SOC 2 training for mm-hmm. technology here. These are characters we get to know and we talk about those characters in the hallway. We do. Um, leveraging sort of uh, really content trends that are out there as well is another big part of what's happening in the learning space with you. It is. You've, you've been forced into becoming almost a producer, really <laughs> thinking like like a, like a, like a, a writer, a, a television writer almost, you know, really thinking yeah. about characters and about place and about bringing something to life in new ways. Yeah. That's been a, a whole new world for instructional designers as well. It is. Um, I think we're, we're stepping into a new space there too, trying to understand like, okay, what makes a television show compelling, for example? Like, you have so many options now if you go on Netflix and you're like, click through, click through, to the point that, I mean, you've probably seen it, suggest something for me to watch. Mm -hmm. Like, how lazy have we gotten? But um, (laughs) you have to think like that as an instructional designer. You go, okay, this is what we've got. It worked. It's pretty. It's engaging. But how do we level that up? And that's when you start getting into really creative um, types of training content where, you know, like um, episodic television series style scripted, um, lots of animation. Um, Obviously, animation got very heavy during the pandemic because of not being able to work with professional talent on set. And so a lot of companies went animation style. But you're doing that character development so that I'm relating to that character and what they're experiencing because it's reflective of what happens in my job. Mm-hmm. So it's being able to realistically portray and um, whether that's through live action filming or whether that's through animation, that the the learning itself is empathetic, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, we get it. Your job is hard. And we're showing that. We're not we're not hiding behind it and, and we're not putting it in the corner and saying that doesn't exist. We're saying your job's hard and we're going to use this this kind of media method to show you how to overcome that, remove the obstacles, be able to deal with your difficult customers, whatever the topic area might be through humor, through scripted interactions that feel more like entertainment. Um, we call it edutainment yeah, <laughs> in love the that, industry. Love that word. Um, and that used to mean a completely different thing. And it was had a very negative connotation back in the day with instructor-led training. But now edutainment is kind of the expectation of learners. They want to be entertained by what they're watching um, as well as learn. Mm-hmm. And so it's being able to meld those two things, no matter what your methodology might be. Um, getting to know your characters, like using them throughout series. We do this for clients all the time where we'll have a character in a behavior modeling video, for example, who just really resonates with the end user. And so we'll book that talent again. <laughs> we'll use that talent and, and that person will become the face of whatever job role for a number of different videos. And I think creating those, it's almost an emotional connection that this person on screen, whether they're paid talent, they work for the company, or they're an animated character, is that that you feel that they understand what you're going through and um, that they're providing information that's going to help you um, be better, not experience as much of the negative, mm-hmm. and um, acknowledging that that's there. And it can blow up in your face. <laughs> um. Well, things get a little more challenging. I will say, though, it's really hard to put that genie back in the bottle. It's it not, is. It's not just us ideating uh, and, and going to a reluctant clients. The world seems to have really pushed for more entertaining yes. learning content. And they want it to be the things you described earlier. And so it's going to be really hard to try to take people anywhere back to, uh, and, and I don't think we want to, back to a place where it's, you know, head and shoulder learner. No more talking kind of head, thing please. Happening. Yeah, I mean, no it's more. really, it's getting much more interesting, and I think more and more it's expected. Yeah, and I mean, relatable. That's how people, that's how people remember things now. Yeah, it's relatedness. Yeah. I have to feel related to that message, and that will motivate me to do better in my job. Yeah. And so if it's relatable to me because of humor, if it's relatable to me because um, that character in the video looks like my boss, 
um, or acts like my boss. You know, those tiny little things, the, they're very uh, niche and they're, they have to be thought about, which is new for instructional designers. We're systems designers, right? And so when we start to get into that minute of like, people's body language and and um, how they relate to the camera or the end user that's that's new for us it's a pretty sea level change i think for a lot of us yeah now you're um, like cut well, <laughs> right let's, let's go exactly. back to it again like, everybody reset think like a, a movie director yeah, and funny. um but it's exciting mm -hmm. because that's the kind of content i want to consume as a learner um and I think that's the type of content that a majority of adults want to consume. Um, and then once you get into the younger uh, demographics of people working right now, I mean, Gen Z has no tolerance for the type of training I went through early on in my career. Mm -hmm. They just won't do it. I mean, and I think companies need to acknowledge that. You can put that compliance training out that's existed for 10 years as many times as you want, and these employees will just not do it. I have the sound of a three-ring binder closing right now in my head. <laughs> that sound of those things clicking yes. uh, is, yeah, scary. <laughs> um, well, Leanne, um, this has been, I think, a bit of a master class in itself. This has been one of those hour-long sessions Love where it. I think um, that I learned a ton uh, talking to you about uh, not just like how instructional design designers think and, and put content together that will change behavior, uh, but also some of the trends that are happening out there and some of the challenges that people are facing as they work through what is really one of the most fastest, most transformational in industries anywhere is what's happening. And you can see it, as I said, on the floor of places like DevLearn, a big mm -hmm. conference that happens every year, but you can feel it in our hallways at 24G and you can certainly feel it with the clients that we work with every day who are helping kind of navigate all this. So thank you. Thank you. It's, it's an us. exciting time to be in extra an instructional designer. I mean, it really, it really is. is. Yeah. So. I love the energy you bring to it. Leah. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank uh -huh. you. And thanks, thanks to everyone who's watching. Uh, again, I'm Rich Folly. You've been with Leanne Knowles all day, our, our director of, of learning services at 24G. And you've been watching Transformation Alley, our, our podcast uh, for 24G. You can follow this podcast and, and subscribe to it on all of the podcast services that are out there right now. And you can also follow us, of course, on Facebook, on Instagram, and on LinkedIn. We hope you do. Again, thanks for watching and thanks for being with us, Leanne. Thank you, Rich. Thank you. Thank you.